0: straight talk from israel you're listening to israel news talk radio you're listening to the jay shapiro show
1: Hello again, this is Jay Shapiro. Thanks for listening. This week is a wonderful time in Israel, very special. It's the holiday of Pesach, Passover, and it's a very special time here in Israel. The holidays in Israel have a special flavor. This holiday is divided into a first day, a last day, which have special restrictions like on travel and other weekday activities. And the five intermediate days are essentially weekdays with a limited number of restrictions. So what happens is the schools are closed, the people are on vacation. One sees families everywhere enjoying the holiday together. The parks are open, they're crowded. Many people use the opportunity to get acquainted with the country. So the roads are crowded with private cars and buses. Many of the religious families travel in large groups in public transportation. My wife and I use public transportation here in Jerusalem. It's nice to see large families enjoying themselves. This week is also Easter week for the Christians and part of the month of Ramadan for Muslims. There are many people of different religions in the streets, particularly here in Jerusalem. One of the things that one doesn't notice, except in certain areas, are the thousands of security personnel, including Army, police, and Border Patrol, who maintain the peace. And they are very effective, especially here in Jerusalem, with a mixed population numbers in the thousands. These people give up their holiday vacations to keep us safe. We owe a debt of thanks to them because they allow us to celebrate and enjoy the holidays with their families. So I wish all my friends and listeners of all religions that they enjoy their holidays in peace and security. And hopefully more holidays will come in the future when there will be peace and there will be security. We pray for these things. And with the help of God, these days will come. I'll be back after the break.
0: You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show.
1: You're back with Jay Shapiro. This has been an extremely busy time here in Jerusalem. The three main religions here, of course, are the Muslim, the Christian, and the Jewish. And the Christians have two different uh, forms of celebration. There are the Roman Catholics and there are the Eastern Orthodox. Now, the Roman Catholics had Easter. The Jews, of course, had Passover, Pesach. And uh, each of these is roughly a week of uh, celebration. But at the same time, the Muslims had Ramadan, which is a month of holiday or holiday. And it moves around the calendar because the Muslims only have a 12-month year, so Ramadan can move around. It could be in the summer, it could be in the winter. It came out now, this year, the same time as the Christian holidays and the Jewish holiday. So this is an extremely busy time, particularly here in Jerusalem, and of course it's kept the police and the army extremely busy. So the uh, Whenever there are religious holidays focused focused around Jerusalem, there are, unfortunately, clashes. How can it be that year after year, the annual holidays are treated like some new spontaneous event that surprises both Israel and the international media, both our Israeli government and foreign governments? Why are we all taken about by the sudden so-called sudden clashes, the violence and the tensions in Jerusalem, the question we have to ask ourselves is, aren't these annual clashes entirely predictable? Every single year, whenever the Jewish and Muslim holidays coincide, or when large numbers of one group come to Jerusalem for some holiday, it's entirely predictable that it will be clashes on the Temple Mount and on the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which is near the, on the Temple Mount. Police and security forces increase their presence, and this in turn becomes a magnet for rioting and clashes. Then comes the predictable closures and added security. More crowds come to protest the closures, and then more security is added, and there are more incidents, the more arrests, and more injuries. All kind of people come to demonstrate, political incitement follows, and then Jordan and other countries call for Israel to observe the status quo and to exercise restraint. Every year, groups like Hamas and Hezbollah, backed by Iran, seek to use claims of defending Jerusalem to fire rockets and provoke a response. Then the response is reported as if Israel has bombed Gaza again, and Hezbollah must make some statement about how it will intervene if Israel does this or that. In recent years, there's also been an attempt to push the tensions to within the Green Line from East Jerusalem and so-called West Bank and Gaza to inflame anger within Arab communities here in Israel. During the conflict last year, widespread violence occurred across Israel in mixed cities, we there were large Jewish and Arab populations. And uh, in the last few days, there were demonstrations in an Arab village called Umm al-Fachum, which is on the main road between the coast and Tiberias. So it's hard to understand how year after year these events are not predictable, and why more effort isn't put into either pre them, or at least explaining them before they happen. Media coverage and government responses always seem to be reactive and not proactive. This is particularly true last year when Iran and Hamas appeared to conspire to ignite a war with Israel while it was in the midst of post-election chaos. So the question is, who benefits from these scenarios? The far right in Israel and in Gaza and Iran, apparently, and yet year after year, Authorities don't seem to brief international media on Israel's preparations and the likelihood of tensions. The fact that media reports about Passover and Ramadan can't even get basic facts straight of what the holidays are, are about is very perplexing. In, the, in, the, in past years, for example, the, uh, the, within, there's an evening called Lailat al-Qadid, it's becoming an evening when large numbers of people converge on Jerusalem and prayers sometimes lead to clashes. This year will, will occur late April, this week, during the last days of Ramadan. It's a Muslim holiday. Yet if you try to find any historical context or even details about this important night in the Muslim calendar, you find very few basic explanations in English media, if at all. You'll find references to clashes last May, uh, back in uh, July 2014. The clashes on this particular evening resulted in a large number of injuries. Uh, and at the, a checkpoint in Jerusalem, the Israel does its best to try to facilitate movement and prayer during Ramadan in Israel. Back in 2015, the UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs noted that prior to Ramadan, the Israeli authorities reportedly proposed to the Palestinian Authority that people board buses in Palestinian cities and travel directly to Al-Aqsa Mosque in Jerusalem with their IDs and permits checked by Palestinian personnel prior to boarding. The proposal proposal was ultimately not implemented due to refusal of the Palestinian Authority to carry out the security checks. So that means that Israel's security authorities do do try to prepare for the issues that arise during Ramadan. Nevertheless, even if Israel does prepare for these events, the overall tendency is to see all the predictable violence and clashes as what's called the cycle of violence. And it it's looked upon as if, if it's something new. The, uh, there were uh, fatal attacks, terrorist attacks, last March and early April that uh, began in Beersheba. And they spread to Bnei and Hadera and Tel Aviv. And there were likely time for the beginning of Ramadan. So we're supposed to believe that all this is spontaneous. So, but it certainly isn't spontaneous. The added difficulty of planning for clashes in Jerusalem is that these tensions are not only one-sided. This isn't merely a question of heightening security to counter-extremist groups such as Hamas. The, Israel has to deal with extremists even within the far right of Israeli politics, even though it's small. The Israeli extremists is a very small group. Uh, they want to march in what they call the flag march, and it strokes tensions. So um, it, it, it's, it, these Israelis are certainly less blameworthy in what happens, but it happens every year. Unfortunately and unsurprising, clashes resulted with the security forces bearing the brunt of the problems, particularly around the old city. So every year we seem to be surprised, and every year articles in the papers speak about surprise. Now, Israel obviously has a right to respond to terror attacks, but it's important to realize that those planning such attacks want a response. We recall back in 2014 how the murder of three Jewish hitchhikers in the West Bank spiraled into a war. So you can ask yourself was the attack planned so that the tensions would begin in mid June and grow as Ramadan began later in the year? So, They have a timetable. They want to bring out all these problems on Ramadan. Uh, The uh, Israel put in metal detectors around the Temple Mount, and it led to further clashes. So it's clear that tension every year surrounding the Al-Aqsa Mosque is choreographed and scripted. If anyone thinks that any of this is spontaneous, and groups like Hamas do not want this to happen, do not plan parts of it, they're likely mistaken. While there are some random and spontaneous clashes, there are also very predictable ones that these terrorist organizations incite. Their agitators want to create a critical mass necessary for a powerful altercation, it's also known that if Israeli police enter al-Aqsa or confront protesters, they'll be used by groups and even countries to inflame tempers against Israel. And this happens every single year. Anti-Israel voices want the Arab League to condemn Israel, and they want to harm Israel Gulf ties with Israel's ties with Turkey and Jordan and other Muslim countries because this is what the goal of these rioters really is, other than simply harming Jews. This doesn't mean it's Israel's fault. Israel's security forces are responding. But the fact that Israel doesn't seem to prepare before these incidents, before the onset of the holidays, shows how every year the wheel is reinvented here in Jerusalem. Groups like Hamas benefit from this short-sighted reaction by Israel. The question is whether the rest of Ramadan, which is just another week, will see more clashes or whether both sides can learn from past mistakes. In the case of Israel's mistakes, in the case of the terrorist groups, it's intentional. This is something we have to live with every year. It is sad, but it is a fact. I'll be back after the break.
0: So join me, Steve Miller, and me, Matt Zucker, for a lighting up every Monday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 p.m. Israel, only on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show.
1: Back to K. Shapiro, I recently read an article by uh, Pesach Wolaki, who is the uh, executive director of the Oratora Stone Center for Jewish Christian Understanding. He lives in Beit Shemesh. He wrote an article, and I think his thoughts are of interest. I want to share with the listeners. Uh, the... Uh, over the past years, while the world has been understandably distracted by other headline-grabbing problems, there's been a dramatic rise in the persecution of Christians. This is something which is not unique to Jews. We tend to think it only from our own viewpoint. We have suffered for thousands of years, but there are other people suffering now on a large scale. According to the World Watch List of 2021, published by an organization called Open Doors, which is a nonprofit that monitors persecution of Christians worldwide, according to this um, organization, a staggering number of 360 million Christians experienced high levels of persecution in 2021. This number is 20 million higher than in 2020, which sets a new record. Mass murder in Nigeria and other North African nations, burning of churches in Afghanistan and elsewhere in Africa and the Middle East, state-sanctioned restrictions on practice of the Christians in regimes like North Korea, internment in labor camps for Christians in China, and a host of other hardships have become commonplace for a growing percentage of Christians throughout the world. It's something that I, you read about in the sidelines, but you don't really think about it. So in a sense, this could be considered a Jewish problem. Uh, If the measure of collective victimhood in the face of attacks is to look at and say, had I been there, it would have been to happen to me, then the conclusion is inescapable. In today's world, an attack on Christians is really an attack on Jews also. Is there any doubt that those who murdered Christians for their faith in Afghanistan or Nigeria or Pakistan Would kill any Jew they could get their hands on? Do we really believe that countries that crack down on public expressions of Christianity are fine with Judaism? In the 21st century, are there any enemies of Christianity who are not at least as enemies of the Jews and for the same reasons? It's a very interesting thing. Well, it may be difficult for Jews to digest. The reality is that rather than anti-Semitism emerging just from the Christian world as it has over the centuries, today the primary sources of anti-Semitism in the world are as anti-Christian as they are anti-Jewish. Now, this may be difficult for many Jews to accept, considering the history of Christian treatment of the Jews. So we tend, particularly Jews from the Western world, consider the Christians to be the one who persecute us. Jews who lived in North Africa or in the Middle East tend to look upon Muslims as the ones who persecuted them. To put it another way, well, it's true that anti-Semitism is on the rise in many parts of the world today, We are mistaken if we view this phenomenon as separate from the drastic rise in persecution of Christians. What was never true in the past is true today. The enemies of Christianity and the enemies of the Jewish people and Israel are one and the same. That's a very interesting thought. More importantly, the motives behind persecution of Christians and hatred of Jews are simply indistinguishable. The, the, our Bible is sacred scripture for both Christians and Jews. The basic values contained therein, the biblical definition of good and evil, of sacred and profane, of life and death, are the shared underlying principles on which our Western world, the Judeo-Christian world, is built. So it has to be clearly stated, neither these scriptures nor the values contained in them are sacred to those who attack and persecute Christians. If those who murder Christians would kill Jews too, it's because they hate all that we share with the Christians all that Jews and Christians together represent. That's a very interesting phenomenon that Pesach uh, has brought out. We in the West tend to see the Christians as the ones who have persecuted us. But now, the, 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 neither the scriptures nor the values, values contained in them are sacred to those who attack and persecute Christians. As I said, if those who murder Christians would kill Jews too, it's because they hate all that we share, all that Jews and Christians represent. Therefore, according to the collective victimhood test, attacks on Christians are attacks on Jews, quite literally. It's our Western Judeo-Christian values and people that are being attacked. So we can't can't allow the dark past of the church's treatment of Jews to cloud the vision of the present. Christians no longer persecute Jews anywhere in the world today. Christian doctrines regarding the Jews and Judaism have been moving forward and toward greater acceptance and reconciliation in most denominations of Christianity particularly in the Catholic Church, over the last 50 years. Our greatest hope for peaceful coexistence with any non-Jewish population in Israel is found in the Christian community. Israel has rapidly become the only country in the Middle East in which Christians have no reason to fear for being Christians. History, as it turns out, makes extremely bedfellows, Those of us who were raised in the West, whose parents came from Eastern Europe, for example, tend to see the outside world that doesn't like us to be the Christian world. But there are those who hate the Western world, meaning the Judeo-Christian world. And now the Christians and the Jews are in the same boat vis-a-vis these others. So now... We, we, this week, last week, Jews the world over engaged in the millennia-old rituals of remembrance and identification with the slavery and the exodus from Egypt. As they were about to enter the promised land more than 3,000 years ago, the people of Israel were commanded to love the foreigner, for you were foreigners in the land of Egypt." That's in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 19. So what's happening now in our times as well, the people of Israel, thank God, are once again a free and strong nation, and we have returned to our homeland. And once again, the historical memory of Jewish suffering is meant to instill within us the concern, the empathy, for those who are not of our own nation, the others among us who are in need of support and rescue from oppression. This is the lesson, one of the lessons of the suffering of Egypt in biblical times and is the message of modern anti-Semitism in our time as well. There are people who hate Western values, and Western values are Judeo-Christian values. So in a sense, in this century, an attack on a Christian is pretty much an attack on Jews also, because there is a large number of people in the world, countries in the world, who simply don't like Western society and what it stands for. And as I said at the outset, I was surprised to find that something like 360 million Christians are experiencing persecution in various parts of the world, in the the Near East and the Middle East and and, uh, as far as toward the Orient. So it's interesting. Uh, Here in Israel this week, we have the Christians, the Muslims, and the Jews celebrating their holidays, And as I said at the uh, first part of the program today, the uh, Muslims here are using the holiday to attack uh, Jews. I understand, by the way, there were several attacks on Christians in the old city of of Jerusalem during Easter week. So in that sense, those of us Jews who come from the West have a tendency to look upon anti-Semitism as being sort of a Christian phenomenon. It's not a Christian phenomenon, it's a phenomenon that covers a lot of other religions also. So these are things we have to be aware of, and we have to empathize with those who have suffered. We have suffered for long, we have suffered with uh, under all kinds of regimes. Now we have our own homeland, and we have to see that strangers here are treated properly. That is what the Bible tells us we must do, and that's something we have to practice. It's not always easy, but nothing really worthwhile is ever really easy. I'll be back after the break. We're back with Jay Shapiro. The Passover Pesach, our holiday of freedom, has just ended, and I want to draw a few general conclusions in a few minutes. There were recently murderous attacks in several places in Israel, and these were not acts of terrorism designed to achieve a special political objective. These attacks had no other objective than to murder Jews. This is deeply disturbing. The establishment of a Jewish state was meant to end anti-Semitism. Theodor Herzl was driven to form the modern Zionist movement after realizing the intransigence of European anti-Semitism, which he witnessed at the Alfred Dreyfus trial in France at the end of the uh, 19th century. His diagnosis was that there was a, ra- a rational explanation for anti-Semitism. He felt the Jews were the only nation in Europe without a country of their own. If they'd only have their own state, he believed it would end their hatred. But it didn't. Instead, the bitter irony is that the Jewish state has become the new focus of anti-Semitic hatred. There's, there's no two ways about it. The level of hatred toward Israel is beyond comprehension. How is it possible that it has had to survive relentless wars and attacks just to survive? This country is a, on a sliver of land, more than the state of New Jersey. No one should even have heard about has been a target of more UN Human Rights Council resolutions than the rest of the world combined, that it is the only country in the world with a global movement denying its right to exist. How can it be that within living memory of the Holocaust in my lifetime, there is a new credible threat to obliterate the state of Israel with the six or seven million Jews living here? It could be done today with a single detonation of an atomic weapon. There's absolutely no rational explanation for any of this. It's a phenomenon denying and defying any law of history or political theory. So, no nation has survived what we have 2,000 years of violent exile, dispersion, and oppression. And yet, Despite impossible odds, we have survived and thrived beyond any rational expectation, and we have a God-given destiny. Jews have always understood that we are a nation like any other. It is nothing to be embarrassed by. Interesting enough, many of the founders of the state of Israel refused to believe this, Their dream was that somehow the modern state of Israel would evade Jewish destiny and become a country like all others, that it would normalize the Jewish people, and by doing so, end anti-Semitism. That's what Herzl thought. But now we are waking up from that dream to a very cold reality. Their dream was an illusion. It was never going to be. And these this this is this is true. These are the facts. The birth of the state of Israel was a miraculous, a tiny nation within three years after the Holocaust. We fended off five invading armies at the first moment of this Israel's existence. Why should these nations even want to smother the new country before it was even born? Why did they reject the United Nations partition plan to establish a Palestinian state alongside Israel. That hatred, even then, like today, defies national explanation. Meanwhile, we have prospered. We've developed a strong army and flourishing economy. We've absorbed millions of Jews arriving from all corners of the world. We have ingathered the exiles. We've achieved success as the world's startup nation while withstanding irrational disproportionate animosity. The the animosity toward Israel is directed not only from our region, but also from beyond. The fact that we exist and prosper is truly, when you think about it, nothing short of a miraculous. Both the adversity and the success of Israel obviously define any norms, any norms. Interesting enough, the, uh, an attempt to defy or deny the obvious, it is when the Jewish people are a state and a nation unlike any other, but there's a tendency among some people, even here in Israel, to blame ourselves. If the world hates us, they must have a good reason, according to these people, Somehow we deserve their hatred. If there was only a Palestinian state, there would be peace. And everyone would love us. We would only leave Jerusalem. They would accept us. If we didn't defend our lives so fiercely, they would forgive us. We would just leave Gaza to be peace. Except that after Israel left the coastal enclave of Gaza, years ago, rockets came instead. They still come. And every attempt since to establish a Palestinian state has been rejected, not by Israel, but by the Palestinian leadership. So people blame, we blame ourselves, but that's simply wrong. We thought that the Jewish state was meant to end the hatred, not attract it. The uh, the only alternative, according to many people, and I attempt to agree with them, is to accept we have a divine mission and destiny that we received at Sinai. To recognize that all the supernatural suffering and success our people have experienced for millennia was predicted in the Torah to understand that the story of our people is taking place on another plane, living proof, I think, of the presence of God. For generation, every Jew understood this. We accepted it not with resentment, but with a sense of privilege and of solemn responsibility. And at our Seder tables last week, we sang the words of Vahisha Amda, that with joy and pride that people have come against us and we have overcome. Uh, that's a, It's now become a popular expression in the United States, to thanks to Martin Luther King. But it's something that Jews essentially have s- said for years. We say behiya amda lavoteino. This is, has stood with us from the times of our fathers. Truth the matter is, even today. We need the clarity of past generations. Israel's energies should be seen for what they are. These aren't terrorist attacks. They are what used to be called pogroms. The international anti-Israel boycott, divestment, and sanctity campaign is another kind of attack on Jews, what used to be called pogrom. The uh, they're more sophisticated, but they're no less lethal. Iran seeks to make another holocaust. Deny these threats is more dangerous. To believe the accusi- accusation of the haters is to place ourselves in mortal danger. We have to embrace, not resist, the uniqueness of the state of Israel and our Jewish identity. Now is the time to rethink the assumptions of the Zionist dreams of the founders of Israel. We need to realize that we want to hold on to the divine gift of the land and our modern state. We need to see it as part of a divine mission. It can be no. just look at Jewish history. We should not be here. We started history with all kinds of people who simply no longer exist. If you want to find them, you have to go digging in various places for what they left over. But we are still here. Now, <clears throat> those who want to make Israel a country like any other country, try to do away with, with all vestiges of Judaism. But they just, even within the education system, there are people like that. The, the, uh, if we don't re- retain who we are and educate our kids of our history and who we are, and how we got here, the next generation of Israelis will not understand why they needed a Jewish state in the first place. These are the hard facts on the ground. On Seder night a week ago, we sang songs that have been sung for hundreds of years. And we said them without, we sang them without sadness or bitterness. We felt the pride of the generation of who we, who came before us, so that we can have what we have, and we must preserve it for those who come after us. At the seder, we handed those truths to our children so they'll know who they are, so they will not make our same mistakes we did. They will know who our enemies are and not be afraid of them so they'll believe for themselves and in the meaning and purpose of the Jewish future and that they'll care about it and work for it. That's the message that I give to the listeners a week after the Passover ended. The message is for all time. Thanks for listening.
0: If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page and don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook